From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up presents Danny Flecka and his weekly spot here on a Friday, um, December 3rd, 2021. Um, let me start here, Danny. Well, first of all, good morning. Um, second of all, I got retweeted by Justin Thomas last night, and I know you're not the biggest social media guy, but in all your life and all your interactions with humans, um, whether it's in person, whether it was via a phone call, FaceTime, whether it was via, um, you know, social media and, and your very, you know, minor uses of, of social media, who's the most famous person you've ever interacted with? I don't think many, I don't think it'd be anybody, many people in, that listen would know who it is. It was an Italian soccer player I got to meet a couple of years ago. It's probably the most famous person. Huh. Uh, way back in the day, I met Jason Seahorse for like a very brief second. You know, just got to say hi and got one of his like gloves that he practiced with. Um, and that's about it. Didn't you also meet Julian Edelman now that I think about it? Oh, you're right. I did. That was like right before he started to take off. Um, yeah, I did meet him for like a quick meet and greet thing. Uh, I think that was like 2014-ish or 2013. I was like my first year or two up in Boston um, is when I met him. Yeah. Um, man, I had completely forgotten about that. Crazy how time flies. Uh, yeah, it's you made it your profile picture on February 5th, sorry, February 1st of, of 2015. Um, but I would have to so go back. It was about 2014-ish when I met him. Yeah, I would have to go back to the archives and figure out when exactly you uh, met Julian. Um, and we don't want to sound creepy here on Teeing It Up. Um, so uh, thank you to JT for uh, helping me explain to the masses why he's wearing sunglasses this week at the Hero World Challenge. Um, let's start with with his Crimson Tide. Um, that's one nerve-wracking game for Alabama fans last night, uh, last week, but they eke it out. They get the victory. Bryce Young has one of those drives that'll go down in Alabama lore if it eventually leads to a national championship or maybe even just because it won them the Iron Bowl uh, going 97 yards like he did. Coming out of that game and going into this matchup against Georgia in the SEC championship on on Saturday, uh, tomorrow at 4 Eastern on CBS, what were your main takeaways? My main takeaways from the Bama game is that this Bama team up front on offense is not as um, talented as it's been in the past. We know that they lose talent every single year. They just seem to reload. I think for whatever reason this year, the sum of the collective parts isn't as great as it's been in the past. They've had trouble running the ball all year. They got trouble with strong defensive fronts, you know, like Florida, Texas uh, A&M, and Auburn. So for me, it's the understanding that you're going into this game against Georgia with already a handicap uh, on your offensive line. It puts a lot of pressure on the skill players and Bryce Young to be productive and efficient 
Uh, I imagine Bryce Young to be running around for his life back there. They're out through their top wide receivers for the first half, so who's going to step up in that in that first half, provide outlets and you know big catches for them? So I, I think that is the biggest takeaway for me from that game is that you know it's been 11 games; they still aren't at full capacity on the offensive line, and now they're going to be facing the best defensive line in the country um, for a spot in the college football playoff. And we know that Georgia is going to get after uh, Bryce Young in that sense. So how does Alabama combat that? You know, again, they, they're out the top wide receiver, could be out their top running back. You know, Nick Saban is very tight-lipped about that. So, it's, you know, where is the production going to come from in that first half to keep them in the game but also keep Georgia on its heels? Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how Alabama combats that in the first half. Where do you fall right now in terms of their scenarios for getting in the playoff? Obviously, if everybody around them loses tomorrow, um, their chances increase. But do you see a scenario where they lose and without everybody else losing, they get in? I just don't. I can't see it. I think the only way in that scenario if they lose is that Oklahoma State has to lose and Cincinnati has to lose. And then you have the discussion, you know, is Baylor one of the top four teams? You know, Baylor, Alabama, uh, Notre Dame are all in that conversation. Cincinnati probably still too. Ohio State might even be in that conversation, um, you know, depending on if the teams lose. But if Alabama loses, they're a three-loss team, non-conference winner. I just don't see, I get it. I get that everybody wants to split a square peg into a round hole with the college football playoff, but we, they agree with the community, you can't set that precedent that a three-loss team that didn't win their conference gets into the playoff just because of their name. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the results have to matter somewhat. And if you lost three games, I mean, sorry, two games, um, and don't have that conference championship game, I just don't know. It, it, how you can put them in if a team like Oklahoma State is it, sitting there as a conference winner with one loss on the year. So uh, if Oklahoma State loses and Cincinnati loses, I, I can understand that conversation. But if, if not, if those teams don't lose, it's really hard for me to see them in there. Yeah, um, same. I'm I'm with you um, on that. I I, I think that. <clears throat> this is essentially a quarterfinal game for Alabama. And either you're going to win the quarterfinal or you're going to lose the quarterfinal. But this ain't no wraparound unless everybody else uh, falls by the wayside. Um, and I meant round robin, not wraparound. Um, Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. When you look... <coughs> sorry. When you look at what Michigan was able to do against Ohio State, and the fact that they now control their own destiny against Iowa in the Big Ten uh, championship game. Let's start with the game. What did they do finally that, you know, we talked about what they had to do last week. But when you think about it and whether it's, you know, all the rushing touchdowns and being able to just run, run, run against Ohio State. What was the, the factor that surprised you most? Um when thinking back about that game? So I, I think when I that game in my head a little bit, it, 
the defensive performance up front uh, for Michigan that really, I think, did them a solid in that game. They, you know, C.J. Stroud still had some good peripheral numbers if you look at his, his passing statistics. But he was running for his life. Uh, they didn't let Ohio State's run game get involved in the game too much. And then up front on offense, they just took it to them. They punched them in the mouth, play after play. Ohio State had no answer for them. And I also think the conditions played a lot into it. I mean, could you ask for a more perfect game condition if you are Michigan at home? 110,000 fans, cold, snowy. It's, you know, it just presented themselves the opportunity to play the type of football they wanted to play. And I'll be honest, I thought after they threw that interception on that second drive and they had the opportunity to go 14 nothing, if the game was going to maybe go the other way just because those are the types of mistakes you see Michigan making these big type of games. But that defensive front and that offensive line, they just dominated that game. They took it to them. They didn't let Ohio State get close enough to where they felt comfortable and running the game that they wanted to play. Um, and they were just aggressive, and they went after them. And I, and, I, and I mentioned that last week. If they stuck to that game plan, they'd have a good shot at it. I thought maybe Ohio State's weapons on the outside might, might present some issues for them. But they did a good job of getting after Stroud, getting him off-platform. Off and then on top of that, when they had the ball, they took care of it. It took time off the clock, and they forced Ohio State into uncomfortable situations. So, you know, kudos to them for that. They've been a good team all year. People have kind of been, you know, underselling them a little bit, but I've watched them enough this year to see that this might be the best Michigan team that Harbaugh has had. Um, and I just think that the way that they've been coaching and the way they've been going to games is that they've been able to, to play the game that they want to play. Um, they've been there have been very, very few instances this year for them where they've, they've trailed or they've been off schedule. Um, so, you know, they, they've had a great year. I hope they can cap it off um, against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. But, you know, when, when you play that type of football that they play, you're going to be in most games as long as you take care of the football, which they did uh, uh, last week. Yeah. You kind of have seen this not only through your watching of college sports, but also through... Um, soccer, overseas soccer. How much of a legend is Hassan Haskins for the rest of his life in Ann Arbor, Michigan? I mean, he's got a long way to go. I think he's only a freshman, right? Um, I think when you have a performance like he's had, given the situation in the circuit, He is a senior, by the way. You are. You are a legend. You are are written in lore for that Michigan football program. But I bet if you ask him, he said it, it doesn't really matter, right? They still have two more games they want to win this year. He probably has other things he wants to accomplish too. So, um, yeah, he'll he'll be remembered forever for that Michigan team and for this season. But they still have a lot left to do um, and accomplish. So. I think he he has some other things he wants to take care of before he really gets. Uh, treated like he will. I'm sure he's got a lot of NIL deals coming through, that's for sure. That is, yeah, I would agree with you wholeheartedly there. So now you look at this game against Iowa, who was not the expected opponent. Wisconsin was, but they laid an egg, so now it's Iowa. Where's your head at on how this game's going to go tomorrow night? So I've watched Iowa a lot this year. I bet on Iowa a lot this year. Um, They're a great 
team to bet on in certain situations. Uh, I'm not taking them in this game. I'm going a little bit of a different route uh, to bet in this game. But Iowa, to me, just does not have the offense to keep up with anybody in this type of game. Uh, they're very inefficient. If they can't run the ball, that they're really not set up to beat you with the pass. If they fall behind, uh, they can't really throw the ball effectively or efficiently to get down the field. They're a team that relies on special teams and defensive turnovers to create short fields for them. And I just don't think that's going to happen for them in this game. Um, you know, They had a, a, a good win last week against Nebraska, but that was Nebraska. They fell apart as they've done all year. Um, there are other big-time games they play. You know, Wisconsin beat the crap out of them. Penn State beat the crap out of them, but they were fortunate that Clifford got knocked out of that game. Um, Purdue beat them up pretty bad, too. Uh, you know, once they fell behind, it was really hard for them to get back in that game. So I was going to play a very strong defensive game for 60 minutes, turn the ball over a couple of times, and hope Michigan had some lapses on defense. I just don't see it. I, I really, again, I really like this Michigan team up front. They're going to run the ball. They're going to get after the quarterback if they get in third and long situations. They'll probably cause some turnovers on their end. And I just think it's too much for Iowa to overcome. And, and granted, these games can be crazy at times. And Michigan has had problems with Iowa in the past. But those are past Michigan teams. And I just think this Iowa team has got too many deficiencies offensively to keep up. Um, or at least keep pace with, with a team like Michigan. If they get down 14 nothing or something along those lines, they're going to have a really, really hard time coming back. Big 12 title game, Baylor-Oklahoma State. Um, this is a huge moment for Oklahoma State, trying to break through and get into the playoff. How do you think, how, how do you think they're going to handle this pressure, and how do you see this game playing out on the field turf at AT&T Stadium? I don't know how they're going to handle it because we've never seen them in the spot before. Uh, they've never beat Oklahoma to get to the Big 12 championship game, and they haven't beat Oklahoma in a long, long time. I think I think there will be a bit of a, a hangover. I think that they have a lot of pressure on them. They are the first game on Saturday, on Saturday too. So there's some extra pressure, too, knowing, hey, if you win, you're in. If you don't, then you got to wait for a bunch of other results to come through. Uh, Baylor's a tough team. Uh, Dave Aranda is a great defensive coach. I imagine that we're going to see uh, Baylor come up with some things. I don't trust Oklahoma State's offense long term. Um, they, they were able to get some short fields last week and you know able to capitalize on them. But I thought that um, overall, like their offensive output wasn't that efficient. So they're going to have to be more efficient this type of game. I think the question is, that, you know, for Baylor, is who's starting a quarterback for them? Uh, their starter went out in that Kansas State game a couple of weeks ago. They didn't play last week. So understanding who's behind center for them, I think will determine, you know, where it is they go from here. But I, I think it's going to be a really tough game. And, and, you know, I don't expect chalk tomorrow. There are going to be one or two upsets, whether they're in the game that affect things. It's must be seen, but... I think out of all the games on the schedule, this one probably had the biggest upset potential. Hmm. Sorry, yawned at the wrong moment. Danny Flicka with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, 
it does sound like a game that Baylor could just, either because of self-inflicted wounds from Oklahoma State or from Baylor coming out with nothing to lose and just, <coughs> excuse me, absolutely balling and making it their day. Which brings us to Cincinnati-Houston. So this is finally the American Athletic Conference Championship game, the AAC Championship game. And we've talked for a good month now about how Cincinnati, who comes in number four entering this weekend, has had to have style points in every single one of their wins. And they've done it. They went 8-0 in the conference. They're 12-0 overall. They face 8-0 in the conference and 11-1 Houston um, in this championship game. If this is a close game, does that hurt Cincinnati's chances? I don't think so because they're number three right now. For them to be leapfrogged and then thrown out of the of the championship, uh, the last four, there had to be some monumental things that could happen. And, and again, we've spoken about this. The fact that the committee put them in, there's got to be a, a good reason to leave them out. Um, you know, Notre Dame's not playing. Oklahoma State will take. You know, that game will figure itself out. You know, if Baylor loses, they're automatically out. Ohio State's sitting there at number seven. And if they lose, then there's a different conversation to be had. If they win, then, you know, they're, they're pretty much in. I just, again, I can't see why people are throwing, like, square pegs at the round hole. It's a thing. They're going to be two ranked opponents, won their conference championship game, and were ranked number three heading into conference championship weekend. You know, there just can't be a conversation I think that's had that they're left out. Maybe they're moved to number four, um, but I just don't see them being left out if they win. It is going to be fascinating uh, because they've been in this entire path and this entire um, time that, you know, you have them as four, Georgia, Michigan, Bama, Cincy. It would look to the eyes that if Oklahoma State wins and they lose, then those two flip-flop. But that's where the Bama, you know, thing comes in and, and Bama having to win probably to get in. So it's a fascinating scenario where Cincinnati is kind of, as you said, one spot higher than they really are just because of the Bama factor and that Bama most likely will loss unless it's losses all over the place um, is not going to get in. Which brings us to Notre Dame, who sits there at 11-1. They're sixth in the rankings, and they have a new head coach because Brian Kelly decided to leave. So Marcus Freeman, their current defensive coordinator, becomes the football coach. It was just announced this morning. The press conference is at 2 p.m. He will coach the Irish in the bowl game. Um, if you're the committee, and these are humans who have emotions, um, you're not supposed to take this into account uh, when it happens this late in the year because Notre Dame's body of work is complete. But I would have to think that deep down... This has got to be in Notre Dame's favor because it's just somebody from the staff naturally being lifted up. And with a lot of that staff staying, that's, I would think, be helpful to the committee if 
problems happen above them for them to try to get into this playoff. Yeah, and I think they did make a comment earlier this week about, you know, they would take that into consideration, um, you know, to take into consideration player availability, coach availability. I think that's all a moot point, though, because Notre Dame needs a lot to happen for them to get in. I think that they need to see Oklahoma State lose, Alabama lose, and Cincinnati lose. That's a lot to happen tomorrow for them to get in. I don't think that all happens, to be honest with you. And then, you know, you open up a can of worms. Obviously, if they get in over Cincinnati, who they who Cincinnati beat, it's a lot, I think, to happen for them to get in. So we'll see what happens tomorrow for them on that end. But I think they're a long shot. They need too much to go right in order for them to get in. And I just don't see all those teams losing. And maybe they do. Maybe there's just complete and utter chaos tomorrow, but I don't know if that's going to happen, to be honest with you. I, I do think Cincinnati's going to win tomorrow. I think it's going to be a tight game for them. I, I really think Houston's going to present some issues for them, but I don't know if they're going to lose that game. So I, I think everything's going to be outside looking in, but hey, if you're Marcus Freeman, you're going to be coaching your first game to do your sixth ball with a team that rallied behind you, with the staff that rallied behind you, and you kind of leave Brian Kelly looking like an idiot uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, they have a lot to play for, even if they don't get into the playoff, because I think for them, uh, going into that New Year's Six Bowl with an opportunity to win that game and show the country why he was selected is going to be a big deal for him. So, uh, a lot left for Notre Dame still this year, but for them getting to the playoff, I just don't see it right now. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. Uh, let's flip to the pros. When you look at what Dallas was able to do last night, they led to Taysom Hill having a whole bunch of interceptions. How do you view this Cowboys team now? Yeah, I mean, that I don't know if you watched that game, but some of those interceptions, my God, um, it could not have been easier for them. I thought New Orleans gave them a lot of issues. They were flying around on defense. Dallas was very ineffective on offense. You know, that, that score is inflated um, by the pick six. So I, I don't I don't really take too much um, into what they did yesterday. But offensively, um, they got some issues. They got to figure out what Zeke's role is going to be moving forward. He looks slow, hurt, um, not very effective. Do they want to give Tony Pollard? You know, the, the share of the carries, they want to give Zeke a week off or two to get healthy. Um, that offensive line was a little bit of an issue. There were some, you know, instances in that game where they were getting after Dak and, and forcing some uh, forcing some bad passes. Um, and, and it got a little bit hairy at the end of the game because they weren't able to commit to the run. Again, I, I think Zeke is the issue right now. Are you going to keep riding him or do you give Tony Pollard the opportunity? So, they got to figure that out. The defense looks good, but again, like I watched that game start to end. Jason Hill hurt his finger. Every ball he threw looked like it was going to be intercepted after that. Um, Saints did some good things offensively. There were some some bad penalties for them that, that stalled some drives um, and you know put Dallas in favorable situations on defense. So you know you have to take that into consideration, but. Dallas kind of has to start from the beginning, I think, here and understand what what's their best 
best 11 that they're going to be playing on the field on offense because, again, Zeke last night just did not look good. And if these were giving the ball 15 times a game, they're going to need more out of him. Otherwise, I think it becomes too one-dimensional and, and there's just going to be defenses that are going to be able to take advantage of that. The Monday night game this week uh, is arguably the best game of the weekend, uh, Pats-Bills, and I think this is going to be a big moment for Mac Jones. You're in prime time. Uh, you're on You're on Monday night. You're now the focus, not the Brady show like it was uh, back when Tampa came to town. Um, I, I think that the Pats are going to win this game, and I, and I think that uh, this is going to be a wake-up call for Buffalo about the amount of room they have and and how much they they, they need of a uh, grind to to get to the top am i wrong am i right where do i fall on this yeah i think it's gonna be a tough game for both sides i think both teams do things well that will cause some issues i think buffalo's mobility at qb and their weapons on the outside can cause new england some issues and i think new england's offensive line and the way they run the ball is going to cause Buffalo some issues. I think the, I think the key at the end of the game is, you know, which which coach is patient with what they have game plan. You know, is Buffalo, can Buffalo commit to the run and, and have a more balanced approach? And can New England keep running the ball and put Matt Jones in favorable situations like they've been doing all year? Um, don't forget, too, like New England's been playing with, with the lead in a lot of these games. They haven't really had to go into drives or situations being aggressive and attacking defenses. So how does that look if they get down, you know, 10-0, you know, 13-7, the third quarter? Those are the things I think that are going to be interesting. I think the Pats have been very efficient, but they've also played a very light schedule. Um, So don't discount that when looking at this. You know, these are the games that we've always seen Buffalo kind of, you know, pee down their leg. Um, and they're at home, prime time. There's, there's no reason for them not to win. They have a very good football team. But their execution has been poor lately. Josh Allen is sort of reverting back a little bit to what we saw him, uh, you know, 2019 and 18. Um, and you can't have that if you're Buffalo. You, you just can't have those back-breaking plays. So I think it's going to be a very hard-fought game, very close game. At the end of the day, you know, who are you betting on to make that mistake? Uh, and I think, just given what we've seen from Josh Allen this year, Josh Allen might have one of them. And in that case, I think that's, my, that's what would give the Patriots that leg up to win this game. So um, that's what I would be watching for. That's what I'm taking into account when I look at how this game is, is coming down from like a betting perspective. Um, you know, Belichick has had success against Allen, um, you know, minus last year in Foxborough against a team that was just, I think, checked out and just decimated injury-wise. Um, it's going to be a good game. I'm excited to watch it. I, I haven't watched too much of the Pats this year, but I think that might be a, a game where we find out if what New England's been building this year is, is uh, concrete and able to get them into the playoffs. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. What's wrong with Big Ben? Uh, he's old. It's <laughs> really he's old. Can't throw the ball. Refuses to take um, you know snaps under center, and they're just hamstrung by that. They don't have any sort of offensive identity 
Um, their offensive line, which was a strong point for them when they had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, has been, you know, torn apart. They, they just don't have it this year. You know, that, that Pittsburgh mentality, and I think a lot of it starts with Big Ben, um, and that's because I don't think he's willing to do what he needs to do to sacrifice himself for the team. And when you don't get under center and you stay in shotgun, it throws off everything offensively. Your, your, your pass protection, your run blocking, your play action, your, your route combination. So uh, it's just that he's old. <clears throat> That's really all it is. Um, is that the same answer about Russell Wilson? I think Russell Wilson's hurt. Um, and I think he's trying too hard. And when you do that, you make mistakes. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, you know, everybody was praising their offense the first couple of weeks of the season. It's not like the offensive coordinator changed. It's not like the players have changed. I think it's Russell Wilson tried to, came back too fast, and it's forcing things. And uh, that that's, I mean, watching that game on, um, on Monday night, you just watch and you're like, what is, well, you know, what's he doing? You know, he's not making the, the right decisions. He's staying in the pocket too long. I don't know. I just think he came back too early, and, and we're seeing some effects from that finger. You know, people might think, oh, it's just a finger, but you're holding the ball in your hand. You're trying to get the ball out. I think his timing's off, and, and everything else along with that, um, you know, forces them into mistakes, and we're seeing what happens uh, to him when that, when that uh, occurs. Have I left anything out, or has or that pretty much covered it? No, I think we covered it, and my, my predictions for tomorrow are Baylor upset win, Georgia by seven, Michigan by ten, and Cincinnati by three. So I think we get Alabama, uh, I'm sorry, I think we get Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and then a question mark. We'll see what happens from there. That's I want to see a little bit of chaos. Chaos would be nice and would lead to a fascinating selection show, noon Eastern on ESPN on Sunday. Um, I also think Baylor wins. I, I think that, that, that the moment's just going to be too big for Oklahoma State. So we shall see how things play out tomorrow. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for joining us and teeing it up. No worries, man. Have a good day. You got it, and uh, enjoy your football weekend, everybody.